Hi, everyone. Um, uh, we're finally getting all these podcasts out. They've just been accumulating, and I just haven't been able to get to editing them and putting them out there. So now we are. Uh, I want to thank everyone that's followed us on this journey with Twin Peaks. There will be one more episode at some point going over uh, the fan book, uh, A Skeleton Key of uh, Twin Peaks. However, after this episode, we are going to be moving formats to another show that you've heard us probably talk about at the end of our podcast called Rate That Album, where Joe and I will be going back and forth between albums, um, you know, picking an album that one of us will, that both of us will have to listen to that maybe the other one's never heard of or whatever. Um, so if you guys have album suggestions as well, feel free to email those to us um, or message us. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, uh, again, thank you everyone for the journey and here we go. We're going to get all those podcasts up and um, this would be the last true Twin Peaks podcast. Thank you for taking the journey with us. Welcome back to a podcast above a convenience store, Talking Twin Peaks. I'm Joe Fremming. With me, as always, is Paul Muadib. How you doing, Paul? Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> we're in 2021. It still feels like we're in 2020. Yeah, and we're uh, a month a month and some change shy of when we first started this podcast. Yes. Or a year and a month. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And... Uh, I'll, I'll say right now, um, the continuity on this is going to be a little off. Um, so, yes, we recorded one a while ago. The holidays came up, got us a little busy, so we took some time off. So we are recording this one the, you know, the first of the year. Yeah. And uh, so we got through the entire series. Now we are on the, the last, uh, the last pretty much the last word on Twin Peaks and unless they uh, decide to bring it back again. But uh, we have another episode after this, but that's more fan speculation book that we're going to dig deep in. But this is the last official word from uh, the creators. Uh, final dossier, Mark Frost, uh, released after part 18 Mm -hmm. And it works kind of as, you know, it's basically a companion piece to uh, all of Twin Peaks. It just, uh, I think just because of the scope of the return, like Frost did the secret history, which was pretty in depth, mm -hmm. but this is kind of like a slimmer, it's a pretty quick read. Uh, Very quick read. 
Yeah, it pretty much brings you up to speed on the characters that they weren't able to get to uh-huh. in the show, uh, in the secret history. Uh, so it's it kind of works like that. Uh, we I, I called part 18 a coda. Uh, and I felt like that, and I think this is kind of like Frost's little coda too. Lynch and Frost kind of did their little thing. That's like that, you know, kind of like you know, this is it. Uh, and so here we are. So yeah, and just to kind of preface on that or piggyback on that, I think Frost knew that there was going to be a, a set of fans that were going to be upset that they didn't get some of the resolution on the characters because you, as I said, you know, as we said throughout this podcast, you and I went to the book signing when secret history was out. Um, and, um, it was announced shortly, like within a month, I think before the show started that there was the second book. And I think frost had that insight of this isn't going to appease all some of the fans so I we're gonna have to do this to kind of talk about what happened with the characters. Yeah, and part of it seems like this, especially the final dossier. It seems like more like sketches of ideas mm-hmm. that him and Lynch were, went through, uh, and then they just tossed it aside for a more uh, ambitious thing with the return. You know what I mean? Like this just seems like it's, you know, it's like it seems like they had it sketched out. Like okay, so this is you know. This is what happened to so-and-so. Uh, doesn't fit in the return. Let's just scrap it. And then, you know, it's not, you know, it's not un- uncommon for people to reuse things that just didn't fit in, in another medium, you know? Yes. And I do also think that this might be some notes, too, from back if they were going to do season three. Kind of where some of the characters were going to go. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I mean, it also I sh- fills in the blanks with some of the things we saw in the return with like James. Because yes. James has always been cool. James has always been cool. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, so and when I say season three, I mean, you know, the 1990s season three, not the return. Because um, there are some things in there that do kind of feel like these were notes over the years in my mind. Versus just what they sat down and did. And uh, so I guess we'll jump right in. So uh, the dossier kind of opens with this uh, in-office memorandum, essentially, um, which it talks about her, uh, um, Tammy Preston, uh, the follow-up to the the dossier uh, and presents, it's the finished report. And uh, and a lot of things are referenced in from Major Briggs and she thanks, you know, Gordon Cole for the opportunity and uh, going forward, as we know, with the Blue Rose uh, team. And she brings up like things that we saw in the last few episodes, like, you know, we lot, you know, like when I last you saw Cooper and stuff like that, Uh, you know, it's so it's this is pretty much the follow up to the events of the return as well. It operates like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Like at the end, it kind of like, you know, it kind of ties it together with, you know, part 18. Uh, it's not who killed Laura Palmer. It's where is Laura Palmer? Yep. 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 Again, we, we talked Which about that the, last episode where yeah. it's Cooper's asking the wrong question, not 
when are we, but where are we? Yeah. So, but yeah, again, this is filling in the blanks. Uh, some of it I think is really interesting. Some of it I'm just like, I don't give two flying fucks about. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was nice. You know, when I first read it, it was nice to get all of it. But going back through and reading it for the second time, there was quite a few things that I was like, yeah, I don't care. It goes a little too long on uh, uh, Norma's mom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't give a shit about any of this. How she met Ernie, like, fuck, I don't and, care. MT once, yeah, yeah. We we never cared about MT once, although that was the true secret of Twin Peaks was yeah, all about. It seems like <laughs> it seems with like some of this, it's like trying to fill in the gaps from season two. And like Frost, and like, come on, man, nobody. Mo- most people are like us; they'll just skip over most of that bullshit. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. And because, I mean, there were characters that we didn't care about. There, there, there's some things for characters that we didn't care about to, to begin with, right? Like Snake. Like Snake. <laughs> hey, look at that. <laughs> Finally, it took the entire podcast for you to call him Snake with me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mission accomplished. Oh. <laughs> oh. So, let's, let's start this off here. Yes. Chapter one is. One of the the more uh, hilarious, and it's also the one that's different from the rest of the chapters, mm-hmm. in that, the, the, for, for the most part, this whole book is written from the perspective of Tammy. Yes. Uh, the first part is Leo Johnson's autopsy report, which is uh, <laughs> written from the perspective of Albert. <laughs> and this so was, a, I, I, th- I think this shows, like, how in tune, like, Miguel and, like, you know, like, because like, I think it's pretty obvious that Frost was the writer when yes. it comes to the show. And it, it really comes through when he's writing from Albert's point of view. I just read this in Miguel's voice and it just gelled. Oh, yes. Oh, God, yes. I was I was giggling the whole time when I was reading that first part because I do think uh, there was uh, some serious synergy and some uh, between Frost, uh, Miguel, and and um Lynch. Lynch. Oh yeah. Oh yes. But it's it's just like it's one of those things where it just shows like when somebody is a really good writer, and I think Frost is a pretty damn good writer, it shows. because uh, he just got right into the tune of that character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we find out uh Leo after uh basically what happened was uh I think somebody told Frost and Lynch over the years, like what was the deal with the the tarantulas with Wyndham Earl? Because they're you know they're not going to kill Leo if they bite them. <laughs> <laughs> so through so it's like Frost using Albert as his avatar. <laughs> I think doing like some meta. Like I can't believe uh, Wyndham Earl thought this was going to work. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. About, Shortly after what we saw in the show, Wyndham Earl returned and he just shot Leo dead. Yes. In the heart. Basically. In the heart. Uh, five times. Four, five times. Five uh, times. Four, four of them around the heart and one dead center. Mm-hmm. So. And, uh, yeah, and they, uh, yeah, they, they assume it was, well, they assume it was um, Earl because it was someone who used an FBI shooting stance. So I also took that as it could have been Darkdale. Yeah, it could have been Mr. C. It could have uh, been Mr. C. 
given how meticulous Wyndham Earl was, uh, I don't know. I think he was just fucking with Leo. And we get a little more insight into, like, Leo was tortured by this guy more than we... Because we saw the shock collar, but it turns out Wyndham Earl was putting out cigarette... Cigarette burning cigarettes. Really, shit. was really fucking him up. Yeah, yeah. This is the window Merle I wish we would have saw. Right. Yeah, it would have. Uh, it it would have been a lot better. Um, had we gotten that window Merle, and that was the thing I brought up in the second season. You know, when we did that, was I didn't like the window Earl that we got. He was, and you 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 brought it up. He was a uh, '60s Batman. Um, Batman. Yeah. Yeah, he was Cesar Romero. Yeah, we do. I mean, he did get a little bit of a like because he's much darker than the the finale of season two. I think that's what Lynch and Frost had more in mind. But you know, it's yeah. what happens when you leave your show. <laughs> you did it to yourself. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so yeah. So basically, yeah. Windham Earl before he. I'm guessing before he went and dressed up like a little ugly lady to kidnap Annie, he just shot Leo dead. Just not leave loose strings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would, I would agree with that. And this, uh, oh, uh, then, we, then we get to Shelley Johnson. Yeah, this was a. I mean, it, it's it doesn't add a whole lot to my experience of Shelley. We learned that she, she's pretty much the same age. She's a little. She's a few. Was two years older than Bobby. Uh, Something like that. Yes. She was because yes. she went to prom, like her junior prom with Bobby. He was a freshman, I think, is what they say. Uh, she drops out uh, out of high school. Uh, she's pissed at Bobby because he starts dating Laura Palmer. Yep. Uh, she goes to the roadhouse. Uh, there's a little commentary about like all these minors being <laughs> at the roadhouse. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, which we've commented on several times. <laughs> yeah, uh, where she met meets Leo Johnson. Yep. And uh, the rest is pretty much history. Then it kind of goes into her and Bobby kind of like have a shotgun wedding after the events we saw in the first, uh, in the second season. Yep. Uh, they have a child. And then it just kind of like, it's weird because like, Tammy's kind of like saying, you know, I know this person's kind of special to you, Gordon. We'll get back to her. And it never does. It never does. Yeah, I was expecting more later, but it never does. Considering he told it, the book says more is coming on Shelly. <laughs> so I'm guessing that that could be a mistake and like a chapter got cut. I yeah, or it, it, it could honestly be that that he wanted to do more with it. I mean, I just so I'm thinking, you know, literally, he wanted to do something with it, and it just didn't happen, right? I mean, it's just. I mean, Shelley's great, but I mean, how much time can you devote to such a side character? Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what 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 do you do? And uh, I, mean, I think that's part of it too. You know, I mean, we she wasn't a major theme in the it, it, when it came down to it. I mean, she was a fan favorite, but what did she really lead to the real plot of the show? And considering her role diminishes quite a bit in the second season, very She's much basically so. Bobby's girl, and it's just. Uh, 
I wish I had Bobby's girl. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, we kind of get a little background on Shelly and, you know, nothing we really couldn't have deduced anyway. Uh, then we get to one of the more interesting chapters is uh, Donna Hayward. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it kind of starts off with uh, Doc Hayward finding out he's been brutally cucked. For 20 years. Yeah. I bet horn. And that's when we saw him, we assume probably killed Ben, but no, he ends up driving him to the hospital and admitting him. Oh, God. Yeah. So, you know, um, you know, there's a lot that goes on here, but basically what happens is, is that um, he won't, um, he says, you know, that Hayward was 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 working with Cooper, but I also feel like Doc Hayward wasn't gonna work on Ben Horn, yeah. <laughs> so he had a different position do it. And within a couple of months, I think it is, um, we find out that Will filed from divorce and left for Vermont. Donna wanted nothing to do with her mom after graduating, so she went to New York, and. Eileen raised Harriet and Gersten. Yep. And um, it comes out that she was getting money from a Cayman Island shell account. <laughs> yeah, ben Horn was basically financially supporting her. What was supporting her. Harriet went left to, for Wisconsin. Uh, I mean, excuse me, for Washington, the University of Washington, became a pediatrician. And Eileen... Oh, we saw what happened to Gersten. <laughs> Well, it does, this is my point, is that it does explain, in a way, I think this is really smart writing, because it explains why Gersten was all fucked up. Yeah. Like, her entire family just fucking destroyed, because if the Horns had stayed together, uh, you know, I think there, I mean, you looked at what it was, and if that, if, I mean, uh, excuse me, if the Haywards had stayed together and hadn't had this fuckery, and in all honesty, I this part does not interest me at all. Because it felt so fucking dumb. Um, it interests you know, me just to knowing what happened to Donna. And it also re reiterates that uh, Doc Hayward saw Cooper in the ICU, ICU unit. Uh, Mr. C, he sees, leaving uh, Audrey's room. Yes. Kind of hammering that home again. Yes, that part was interesting. But for the most part, though... I didn't like the whole Donna uh, that um, Donna was Ben's daughter angle from season two. Um, you know, they painted themselves in a corner. There's not much they, they, to do with that now. No, there, there was very little they could do. And I think, again, it was really smart because that, you know, having this whole broken home and everything just being torn apart leads to where Gersten, being the youngest, was fucked up, right? Yep. Uh, so, and Donna becomes uh, a model, which is like okay. Yeah, that was. But she ends up with substance abuse mm-hmm. problems, and she kind of becomes more humanized toward the the end, where she yes. she ends up moving near uh, Doc and helping him at his clinic, I believe. Uh, I think so. For a while. I don't think she did it the whole time, but I think no, no. But toward the end, like once she's the end, she did, her, yeah. So we at least we get like some resolution with Donna because that was, you know, I think that was like uh, besides Audrey, uh, 
Donna was completely, <laughs> you know, with the return cut out. I don't think they mentioned her a whole lot in Secret History. So it was like, and frankly, you know, she was a pretty big character in that first season. So I, I'm kind of glad we got some, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, probably because, uh, you know. Laura, Laura Flynn Boyle was not going to return for the well, return. I, 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 I don't wonder, think Lynch would want her in the return. And I'm wondering why they didn't get, um, why they didn't get. Uh, oh, from Fire Walk with Me, Maura Kelly. Like, like, yeah. like, what was Maura Kelly doing? Yeah. Well, you know, again, the the return was so massive. Like, just like how many, you know, how many characters can you cram into it at that point? Like. And, you know, that is one of the reasons why we don't get Catherine Martell in it. I mean, it's just, it was like, you know, The Return was like something that was like beyond the original show. So, I mean, some characters had to go to the cutting room floor, I'd imagine. I I guess, again, it just, it just felt like, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it... I just I didn't care, right? I got I think I, I think ultimately that's that's what I'm looking at is yeah. I just didn't give a shit uh, about it. So I think that's my take on it. But again, the Donna stuff though was interesting. Yeah, how she kind of her life just basically slid out of control. Yeah, right. Yeah, and the the Doc Hayward stuff. I thought is like now we know like what happened to him, and like with, and then like going to the next chapter with Ben. Like we get like some insight into life after what we saw in the first two seasons. Yeah, the separation between him and his wife. Yeah, yeah. So the next chapter is uh, Ben and Audrey. Uh, there's some interesting tidbits in this one. This one kind of hits home that she uh, Audrey was in psychiatric care. After the birth of Richard, mm-hmm. uh, she became agoraphobic, uh, big drinker. She married her uh, accountant, which I, I think is Charlie. 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 Yep. Uh, but you know, I think like everybody's like she's at a lodge. Like I think she's just fucking crazy. Like I mean, she had she's had a pretty traumatic life. Like you know, being blown up into a in a bank. And being raped immediately afterwards is like that's enough to like put somebody on a bad path for the rest of their life. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about this. It's been a you know again continuity is a little off here, but we talked a little bit about this where I still think that the theory of mine that she's still in the coma um, is where I'm really is where really where I'm thinking it, things are. I think Coma that from the bank explosion. Yeah, I how don't, could she have married her accountant if she's in a coma? So this is my thought. Well, no, hear me out here. Is that I know the book is is saying what what what, what the book is saying, yeah. but I just I I don't think that she ever woke up. Like I could see where maybe her accountant did marry her. I I don't know. There's there's I mean. That flash of her in the looking at herself when she's in the psychiatric ward. I mean, that's obviously what that is. Yeah. Means something, right? 
So, I, I mean, maybe she did wake up from the coma. Maybe her accountant did take advantage of her and she had a total mental break. But I don't think that, I mean, that there was, there's something there that's not there in my mind. And I just don't know how to explain it properly. I think the the thing is with her and the return is just the bullshit of Cheryl and Fenn wanting more to do. Oh. Which caused the, the inconsistency here. But I'm just going to go with the canon we have here. Audrey woke up and her life has just kind of became shit. <laughs> she became a drunk, agoraphobic. Her kid is out of control. She married Charlie. Like, I mean, she's traumatized, like, no matter what. So, I don't know. But, again, the stuff we saw in The Return, a lot of that was added just because Sherilyn Fenn wanted more to do. So, Well, we knew that. We knew she wasn't happy with it. She got it added in. I guess that that could be the case. But I, I, I don't know. I just thought the flash there of her being in there, I think maybe, I mean, maybe she did marry Charlie. I know that she knows things that are going on in the story. But yeah, that wouldn't but, make sense if she was in a coma, if she knew all about the, the other stuff. Yeah, you bring up a valid point there. I, I, I did, yeah, that that whole thing got fucked. I just, I just, I just think they that was just one of those oopsies in continuity, and I was just like, we'll just keep it mysterious or whatever. <laughs> um, I think, I, she, I, I mean, I think she woke up and just the idea that she's pregnant and she just went through a trauma. And then, like, even secret history of that, was it the the letter she wrote and all that? I, I, it's just, and again, I really don't give a shit what happened to Audrey. <laughs> like, she's one of my favorites, but I'm not going to overwork my brain on, on her at this point. Uh, but we do know uh, the experience messed up Ben, and we find out his Ghostwood project Turned out to be for a private prison. <laughs> the private prison. Oh, God. Was, uh, actually, stuff that was happening in the early 90s where people were building private prisons, and we saw how well that worked out all around, right, Paul? Uh, oh, my God. The for profit prison industry, which, you know, I feel like, you know, Frost is a pretty liberal guy, so I think sometimes he goes off on these little tangents a bit uh, yes i get that's your personal thing but uh, that, is, that has nothing to do with like the worst business transaction in history we saw the first two seasons oh yeah oh my god because from my understanding they were gonna chop it down and turn it into like what like like condominiums or like housing or whatever that was like it seemed like that was the plan that they were going for yeah they never really did explain what the ghostwood project was right i was just under the assumption it was like a real estate venture so it's like high high high-end condominiums or something for like because it's like you know like a resort town type of thing but yeah the the you know the book states that uh basically happened was he it was a it was a horribly troubled project um and (laughs) we talked about that <laughs> Yes. Yes. And, you know, I don't think they talk about in this book. I think it was the last book where they explained Catherine Martell's why she's not around. Yeah, and that was, um, history. She... that was secret history. So, you know, she gave everything over to Ben. And yeah, so it was owned through a shell company because we've learned that Ben loves his shell companies. 
We learned that through Donna, um, through um, conservative investors. Yeah. And the the company proved itself in the book. It says the, it, uh, an absentee landlord in the worst sense. It was an ugly, brutish structure built by low uh, lowball contractors to save money. It is widely considered the, the ugliest object in this otherwise pristine valley. <laughs> um, and Ben Horn referred to his own prison as a the private prison as the blight on our land. Um, <laughs> yeah, it missed off it though. <laughs> he did, and they do explain that the arrival of the prison coincided with a sharp rise of medical issues, alcoholism, depression, opioid addictions, abuse, and illegal trafficking domestic violence and suicide which were all going on to begin with that was kind yeah, of yeah i was gonna point. say that was like the whole premise of twin peaks that stuff was just under the surface yeah <laughs> yes but it does kind of show that ben because of audrey i think in a way um <clears throat> changed yeah. that whole thing i think i well i think also donna you know, what happened with the Haywards, what happened with him, Ben lightened up a lot. And we got some of that in Secret History, because Secret History goes into how he would visit Audrey in the hospital, and it really, like, humanized him a bit. Mm-hmm. And this kind of expands upon it a little bit more, uh, which I kind of, I like that, uh, you know, there's some redemption in char- a character who is pretty much a giant asshole <laughs> throughout the first two seasons. Like he's like the architect of awful. <laughs> yes. Behind like a lot of the terrible things going on in town. So I like yeah. that they do give him a little redemption and they do it in a way that's not like ham fisted. Like it's subtle. Cause he, you know, it's not like after the explosion, he's like, I'm calling Ghostwood off. No, he, he tricked, took advantage of, Oh, Ms. Martell, because she's grieving after Pete died, uh, gets the land, and then he sells it to private prison industry. But he, you know, he's living with some of this regret. Yes, he is living with some of the regret, and I think you know they do that. Well, speaking of Ben, then they <laughs> yeah. get the then they get the good old Jerry. <laughs> I. Uh... I love that they give us a little background on Jerry Horn. Uh, <laughs> Lifelong bachelor, Jerry. <laughs> um, well, for one, I love the fact that they put him as part of uh, the Merry Pranksters with Ken Casey. Right. You know, early pioneers of like uh, psychedelia and uh, yeah, LSD use. Ken's Casey, Jack Kerouac, that yeah. whole crew. Hunter amazing. Thompson, you know. <laughs> it's like this um, all like Amazingly done. And Jerry's there just enjoying it all. And it kind of explains why he's always, like, eating food in the first couple seasons. Because I never I never really thought about it until I read this. And he's just fucking high out of his mind the whole time. All the time. Yeah. I, not, I just figured he, that's just who he was. I, didn't, <laughs> I did not pick up on him. He was just stoned. Because they didn't I, really give us indications that he was smoking pot. Y- yeah. Oh, well, you know, I sh- we should have known. But, yeah, I didn't pick up on it either. But yeah, it's it's brilliant. But yeah, they also talk about how, um, as they stated, accusations of malfeasance many times in the past, as she states it in the book. Um, <laughs> and uh, he was the company's PR, the crown jewel of the family's portfolio. <laughs> oh, 
Well, it turns out he's he's the breadwinner now for the the horns with mm. his pot business. Pot business, yes. Um, you you yeah. caught onto that right away. Caught on that right away, and uh, he was a behind the scene. You find out he was a behind the scene organizer for the legalization of it, and uh, yeah, <laughs> I love this so. As a college student, Gozanga, class of 68, <laughs> Jerry drove across country to attend Woodstock with his own private custom Airstream trailer, uh, appears briefly in an award-winning documentary of that large landmark concert, uh, <laughs> uh, literally emerging from the Airstream with a bevy of nubile hippie chicks and a cloud of smoke. Oh, my God. Yeah, you, he can, was, tell, you can tell reading this, you like the characters that Frost personally like writing for yes i think jerry was one of them obviously uh albert was too <laughs> yes and then they, they bring up the uh the the the, the domain names a higher calling.com eight miles high.com up up and away.com <laughs> yeah this i enjoyed that one yeah so great yeah just he's part of the counterculture man like he was he was there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then this follows into probably what I don't care about as much as the double R stuff. Uh, this is dealing with, uh, you know, the the food critic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, MT Wentz goes into Marty, her dad, and yeah. I mean, this seems like an overblown way to like fix some of the inconsistencies we read in Secret History. Yes. Uh, yes, but it does bring think... back MT Wentz. It does kind of retcon that hey, that was a you know that was a mistake, yeah. um, you know, and yeah, it, the, uh, this one didn't do a whole lot for me. No, um, all we learn is that basically there was a Christmas something happened at a holiday party between Annie and her stepfather, and um, the stepfather tried to rape Annie. Yeah, the stepdaughter. Yeah, the stepfather tried to rape her, and Roland. Stormed out of the house, Blackburn, um, and yeah, it was just he was declared dead, and it. Yeah, basically, MT Wentz was uh, a murder. black widow. You know, yeah, yeah, character. Yeah. Her yeah. husband's just mysteriously die. Uh, yeah. I don't really care. Uh, still a little interesting knowing about. I guess I was a little interested when they were talking about like uh, how uh, Norma didn't know she had a stepsister and Annie until yes. later. Yep, and then. Uh, you know, and Annie is just like, I mean, we got hints of it. And I think like this part, like this trauma, like the, the attempted rape and all that. Uh, it, I think that was like in the back burner for her character if there was a season three. Because like we saw like in season two and Annie's for she has like the, the cuts on her wrist. Yes. And, and they did allude to the confident. suicide. Yep. Yeah. So she's she's like she has a lifetime of abuse and. This goes into her own chapter. Uh, this kind of like what people were, you know, how's Annie? How's Annie? Well, uh, I think what she say, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think Annie, uh, Annie is not okay. No, she's she's part. My guess is she's still partially in the lodge. <laughs> yeah, Annie, Annie is in a bad way. Let's just put what it that she, way. What does she keep saying? Is it I'm fine? Once a year, <laughs> she becomes yeah. Yeah, something like that. It's something like I'm fine, or yes. And then she says uh, one other thing, but yeah, I don't remember. 
what else that was unfortunately I, I, I you know it's been a little while since we watched it but yeah um and she does she comes around every once in a while and says weird shit yeah well she only just says the one thing yeah once around the time she exits the lodge she says uh i'm fine or whatever i'm trying to find it here i'm trying to find it too yeah. Yeah. It's just like I think she it's just whatever. She says she's fine, which is kind of like a play on the whole how's Annie? How's Annie? Yes. <clears throat> yeah. Well, she's I'll fine, but she's not fine. Uh, yeah. I think uh, she's fine, but she's not like fine. We, we discussed once you enter the the Black Lodge, part of you is always gonna be there. Uh yeah, she's already I mean, a traumatized person, and uh, she was pretty beat up when she got out of the lodge. Uh, we saw that, at, uh, especially in the the missing pieces, when she's in the ER and the nurse steals the jade ring off of her. She's just catatonic. Uh, I don't blame her. If I was dragged into a place like that, I'd probably be fucked up for the rest of my life, too. <laughs> Yes, um, and uh, then the one thing they do bring up was that it came out that um, because of the dealings that Ernie had done with, um, and you know, had worked with the FBI, had worked with Denise and Cooper, um, they um, Ernie when he got he was free to go, but he was served <clears throat> that. M.T. Wentz had left Twin Peaks and uh, had all of his belongings packed and stacked outside their Seattle house uh, with uh, uh, with a, with divorce papers. So yeah, and they and they go into it where they think that you know the the whole fight between her and Noma at the end was part of her just basically that Vivian M.T. Wentz is a horrible person. Yeah, uh, we kind of picked that up anyway. <laughs> yeah, 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 we knew that. And then apparently she gets married one more time. And um, uh, and I think he died. And um, then then she's dead from a mysterious illness. Like, it was just stupid. Uh, I, I really didn't care. Yeah, it's... Yeah, that part, that shit, I just, whatever. Mm-hmm. Again, the stuff with Annie was interesting. Yep. I'm on the I'm on the chapter, uh, yeah. Every, every, every year, once a year, on the anniversary of that day, she was found in the woods without prompting or responding to any inquiry directed at her. At precisely 8.38 in the morning, she speaks that same single sentence to no one in particular. I'm fine, she says. Yeah, fucking that again. You're stuck in the lodge, bitch. <laughs> you're not yeah, she's stuck. Uh, yeah, so but that's just that kind of wraps into the so following Annie because this stuff's all kind of intertwined. There's a Wyndham mm-hmm. Earl chapter, we get a little background on Wyndham. It doesn't really give us like anything we haven't been able to deduce. Uh, he's missing, uh, he's. He was annihilated by Bob. <laughs> he was annihilated by Bob. Uh, 
like uh, we've talked about rules in the lodge. Uh, my gathering is like when Wyndham Earl it was trying to like uh, extort Cooper's soul. That crossed like a big, big fat no no line with Bob. <laughs> he just annihilated him. He's oh, never Bob seen was him since. And we don't even see him in the lodge ever again. So, yeah. No, no, Bob was pissed and destroyed him. And it's unfortunate because, again, I liked the idea of Wyndham Earl, but even this didn't really make er Wyndham Earl compelling. No. Uh Um, You know, he... I, I I don't know. It's just um, you know the one one interesting note that Tammy does have is you know um, that Cooper seems to have a this prevailing impulse to save troubled women, um, and you know it, it kind of leads into his why he was uh, attracted to Wyndham Earl's wife, why he was attracted to Annie, why he is so fixated on saving Laura Palmer. Yeah. And uh, part of that, too, you know, it's mentioned here, but there's also the kind of like the forgotten book, those the Cooper tapes, where mm-hmm. you learn a little bit more about Cooper's mom. And that's yes, I forgot about the Cooper tapes, yes. So, like, that's kind of where his thing about wanting to save women came from, was his, his mom. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so we get that. So we're back in Twin Peaks. Probably the... The dumbest chapter is the Miss Twin Peaks chapter. Fuck my life. Why was this uh, included? It's just like, you know, like we get like the autopsy on uh, <laughs> Doug, <laughs> who was yep. such an intriguing character. <clears throat> oh, God. Secret history. Like, yeah, he died of a heart attack. The Jade Ring is stolen. Lana dates Donald Trump. Like, it. <sighs> It just it's and then Trump takes the the jade ring from her, like this is like again like shoehorning in like the like the politics of the time, mm-hmm. you know like this would, you know it, it just I I hate that uh, you know I'm no fan of Trump but like if he was you know it's just it's just so like yeah I, this was so not needed I did not need to know what the fuck happened to Lana. Nobody gave two fucks what happened to Lana. <clears throat> so let's get on to Dr. Lawrence Jacoby. <laughs> oh, my God. Shall Again, we this is like you can tell when Frost likes the character, right? These are the characters he likes. And, like, you know, I like them, too, because they're, like, the offbeat ones. <laughs> yes. And uh, we find out Jacoby, you know, he had an interesting uh, time there after he was uh, dis- disbarred from practicing medicine in Washington. You know, he went on tour with the Grateful Dead. So I, I love how she puts it in his 24-hour diner menu of ethical code violations. <laughs> <laughs> well, he had to shovel himself out of the shit, Paul. Had to shovel himself out of the shit. Yeah, and then he threw himself into the field studies of Hawaiian shamans. Um and uh, he started looking at Aboriginal traditions like leprechauns, pixies, and elves. Um, and he, he, yeah, he just 
<laughs> from 94, 95, is on the road with the Grateful Dead. The Dead, yeah. Which Albert yeah. refers to them as the world's greatest bad garage band. <laughs> <laughs> so brilliant. And, um, yeah, uh, he kept on, as one likes to say, on trucking. <laughs> uh, did you know Albert is a stereo and vinyl enthusiast with a jazz collection that numbers in the thousands? Yes, you probably did. <laughs> I love that. And he was the band's senior spiritual advisor. Yeah, which means basically he's their drug gopher. <laughs> yep, yep. Which basically means he's their he's their drug uh, drug gopher. Um, that he ends up uh, in, in the in an Amsterdam uh, group called the Zonderkamp Institute, which translates to "born without a head." <laughs> yeah, it's, he's got like a yeah. Stay in Amsterdam comes to an end in '98, so he gets all paranoid about Y2K. Yep. <laughs> yep. I should just mention here during uh, that Y2K. I, me and my buddy Matt were in uh, the Everglades of Florida at a giant fish concert. <laughs> so that feels totally on point with Dr. Jacoby. <laughs> that is brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I was around that time. I was actually in Eugene, Oregon at a hemp festival. Yeah, same thing. Fish yeah. concert, hemp festival. Yeah, that was the hemp festival. I I saw Hunter S. Thompson, who I was too afraid to talk to. Oh, I mean, he's he's nor he was at that time. He was probably really fucked up, and he's probably had a guns on him. I I probably would have stayed away from that. Him. That was exactly my thought. That was exactly my thought. Was <laughs> I want to talk to him, but I'm guessing he's fucked up and he's got about four guns on him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. So I just stared in awe. At him, yes, it was. Uh, that was something. Mm -hmm. All right, Jacoby next pops up during the hanging Chad portion of the 2000 election recount. Oh, god, yeah, oh, yeah. Then this kind of like the 9 11, and he, just, he becomes kind of like a radicalized with politics in a sense. Uh, as we saw in the show, he's basically the left wing version of an Alex Jones. Uh, Yes, yeah, that's exactly what he is. Defiant yeah. liberal de uh, denial syndrome, as what he called uh, the R Ralph Nader supporters. Yep. <laughs> yep. And uh, yeah, so um, he decided in 2003 to head back to Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, and he bought a mobile home, hauled up a remote, uh, uh, hauled up to a remote uh, acre. That he bought for merely nothing on the peak of White Trail Mountain, set up shop, and he reached out to his old bud Jerry Horn, <laughs> who became yep. the first and only financial contributor to Jacoby's new enterprise. Yeah, uh, he starts embracing the internet and uh, blogging. Yep. Eventually, that blog turns into a video blog, which we see in the see in the show. Yep, and he became Doctor Amp. Um, which I think was they mentioned Dr. Little Pops from back in the day. Um, I think that's kind of a play, Mark Mark Frost's play on Dr. Little Pops. Um, but yeah, Dr. Amp Blast. <laughs> <laughs> the Dr. Amp Blast made its debut in 2006. Um, 
Yeah, he uh, did his nightly crusades, and it worked with uh, what it actually took off, apparently. And um, it went. he went national in 2012. Uh, refused attempts by mainstream media to, to collect on him. Um, but in, uh, in 2015, he started his direct mail operation <laughs> yeah. to dig yourself out of the shit. And interestingly enough... Uh... He doesn't keep a lot of the portions. Like it's, I thought this was like a get-rich scheme. Ninety mm-hmm. percent uh, of his income goes to charitable progressive uh, causes. Causes. Yep. Yep. So he's not. He's not really rolling in the dough. He's don't. You know. He's putting action to his words in a sense. Yes. Like, you know, and... he'll, he'll take the hyperbole, and then like the donation that comes, he'll put it toward a real thing. <laughs> Yes, and uh, you know you you, you find, I mean that also explains why he was in the shitty car in the return. <laughs> what was it? A truck? I thought it was like a beat up old pickup truck. Yeah, whatever it was, it was a piece of shit that barely worked. Um, then they do a, a Jacoby PS. Yeah, uh, which weirdly goes into James's story. Yeah, isn't that weird? How that goes into James's story? Uh, Basically, James, uh, you know, he went on the run. Uh, yeah. He was put on trial for that. And we'll admit, you know what? Who fucking cares? I don't care. I don't you care. Know All you James need to know is that he had a motorcycle you. accident. He wasn't the same after. Yeah. I've had enough of you, James. Fuck off. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sadly, yes. Yes. I had to. Um, I, I had to do that. Yes. And then we kind of go a little bit into. The whole Nadine, uh, Dr. Jacoby, uh, Ed thing. Yeah, let's just say, let's get to, let's nip this one in the bud because, you know, I want to, the last part of this chapter is probably like, like the cherry on top of what we saw with, uh, in the return with, you know, Otis writing, singing, since I've been loving you, uh, mm-hmm. Norma and, uh, Ed. Uh, you'll be pleased to learn, I think, that Ed and Norma got married not long after. Which was phenomenal. Yeah. James played a song he wrote on his guitar during the civil ceremony. Of course. He ruined everything and everybody committed suicide. On yeah. to Margaret Colson. Yes, on to Margaret Colson. It was a tragedy when everybody killed himself after James sang his song, but it was all he labeled it was um was uh You and I Part Two, is what he called it. Um, and I believe he also put a timestamp on the beginning of it, like 2.54 a.m. <laughs> 2.54 a.m. Uh, us and them, or excuse me, uh, uh, you, uh, you and I, uh, part two. <laughs> so we get to Margaret's chapter. This is one of my uh, one one of my favorite ones. It's just like, you know, it's bittersweet. Uh, Hawk speaks at her funeral and we get like it's i'm not going to read it because it's a lengthy passage but i if you're a twin peaks fan uh if you pick it up just for this part i'd say yeah uh, the last part is this truth i know as sure as the dawn darkness will always yield to light when the light is strong that's kind of caps it off uh it's a really touching tribute uh yeah it's you know that that's a hot tough thing uh Long lady, it's such a favorite, and and that was uh, I uh, with that that passage. Again, we talk about you know when Mark Frost is writing for characters that he likes and cares about. 
to have a hot. I mean, the way it's written, I could hear it completely in Hawk's voice, and especially the his treatment of Margaret in Secret History, like mm-hmm. the tragedy she went through. You know, her husband being killed yeah. in the Great Fire and all that. It's just yeah, you can tell when he likes these characters. Uh, Margaret's ashes are scattered in the Ghostwood Forest. Even even Tam here is kind of uh, touched by this. Yes, and she mentions how she would like to meet uh, Margaret in, uh, in in the next world. Um, then we get to Harry, and it's kind of like what we knew, right? Which was um, he got ill. Yeah. yeah, he got ill, but you know he wasn't quite the same after um, Josie as well. Um, you know, she says right there in the book that uh, she was a, that, that that Cooper's support helped preserve his sanity and saved him from killing himself. Essentially, yeah. Um, I wish we would have gotten a little more with Harry. Yes, we just get like one and a half page on Harry Truman, which is kind of weird considering he's he, he looms so large not only in the first two seasons but in the return. Being mm-hmm. and not even being there, uh, we get like you know why Frank moved back to Twin Peaks to you know take over his job. Yep, and she says if Cole wants to reach out, Harry would be more than grateful to hear from him. Mm. I I don't know why Harry would. It's not like he spent a whole lot of time with Gordon. Uh, it seems like almost like if Albert reached out, <laughs> at least had more of a history. Yeah, and I think that had been an interesting thing to see. Um, you know, that they did they do talk about how um he never did give up trying to figure out what happened to Cooper. Um, but that for the twenty years plus he never stopped searching for Cooper. Um and then um it was cancer, it's confirmed it was cancer. Um and that after he retired and that he was undergoing treatment, but he was fighting uphill. Um, he kept the news from everyone. Um, only his brother was the only one to have known about it. Um, but Hawk figured it out right away, because that's what Hawk does. And um, that, of that you find out that Hawk agreed to move back, take the job for two years, and then hand everything over to Hawk. Yep, that that Frank was going to only be there for a little bit and that Hawk would be given the uh, the the station. Um, And then I think next we get to major breaks. This is uh, this is this is where I think it's uh, these were the notes with Lynch and Frost when writing the return on uh, getting Mr. C and Briggs. And listening post alpha to Buckhorn, South Dakota, and this is what this chapter pretty much does. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get the uh, like what Tammy thinks went down at listening post alpha. Basically, Briggs set a trap for Mister C. Kind of faked his death to go on the run. Uh, where he ends up in one of the portals, I probably in Buckhorn. Uh, yep. Uh, yeah, so we so basically this this seems like this was was probably part of uh, script idea, and it just uh, 
you know, we all know how Lynch doesn't want to explain everything away, so I'd probably just hit the cutting room floor and ended up back in here. I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so, you know, Briggs and the double vanished from sight for the next 25 years after the the, ex, the explosion. What happened, you know, like Briggs's body was so blown to beat pieces that they couldn't 100% identify the body. No, nope. and whose who's body was it? <laughs> right. And they do say they found a couple of his teeth. So, I mean, that tells you how far he went. Yeah, he, he yanked some teeth out. Like he he yanked some teeth out, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. And that they were inside the zone. Then it goes to Hastings yeah. and Ruth. Where they and... touch base with the Major. Yep. Um, and it kind of gets into more detail about, you know, their uh, interaction. again. And this might have been early stages of uh, the script. Uh, and I'm sure after... Considering Don Davis was dead, they probably had to scrap a lot of this. I think so. Which have been some of this would have been really interesting to actually see, but uh, again, when the actor's dead, it, you know how 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 feasible is it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, and they kind of you know she questions: Was he hiding for twenty five years, or was he in the portal for twenty five years? what went on there and she kind of explains how she didn't really know um it's basically kind of telling us he was there for 25 years hence why he didn't really age yep when the body's found yep yeah and then it just kind of goes over the stuff we saw in the return you know like the the hidden thing in the chair yep uh, yep uh, you know kind of goes in the background of the double that's what they're calling Mr. C. Yep, the double. Like his kind of goes a brief into like uh, his criminal empire with shell companies, offshore banking, et cetera, et cetera. But he is he is worth in the billions. <laughs> yep, he was worth in the billions. Absolutely, from everything that he did. And you learn that he wasn't. You know, uh, not that we learn, but they just you know cement more about that he was involved in that black box, the glass box. <laughs> Yeah. Um, situation. Um, do you, he was trying to catch the the major is what it was. We thought he was trying to catch Cooper. It was the major he was trying to catch. Yep. Is what they put out there. And um, you know, and, and but they never really say what did he want. Like what was he after? Um. So yeah, there is that, and then. Um, she doesn't really know what the double was, but we, we basically know it was, it was Bob. It was Bob. And, um, you know, I mean, it was a Tulpa, but it was a Tulpa that was controlled by Bob. Um, yeah. I do like how she says, um, pardon my French for a second, Chief, but what the fuck? <laughs> Took the words right out of my fucking mouth. Took the words right out of my fucking mouth. Um, and uh, then they talk a little bit uh, about um, Philip Jeffries. Yep. They go into Jeffries. And that I thought was really interesting, was this whole thing. Yeah, because it keeps it a mystery. Right. Like, it doesn't, like, I like... Frost, like, because this obviously the Jeffries thing seems to be more on Lynch's. Ter- I think when it gets more into Lynch's territory, he's uh, Frost is cagey. 
And I Very. think that's more out of respect for David. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, this is David's thing, so I'm not going to explain it. <laughs> right. Even if, even if Lynch explained it to him, I don't think he would uh, betray that trust. No, no. They just mentioned that all this weird shit happened at Brano's Aries. Oh, he can be in two places at once. At once, yep. They and... identified as a shadowy suspect. <laughs> yep. And identified how... a shadowy suspect, someone he believed be a central person of interest in charge of this entire operation. And then we go into Judy. And then we go into Judy. Jow Day. Jow Day. And Jow Day, it turns out, as I mentioned in previous things, it's the Sumerian yep. uh, demon. And um, At least that's the likely. <laughs> Again, right. Frost remains cagey. Frost remains very, very cagey. And then we talk a little bit about Ray. That fucker Ray. That fucker Ray, uh, <laughs> who was a deep cover informant. Um, who, uh, you know, Ray apparently was good at his job up to a point because he got in the inner circle and worked with him. Um, where he was also working in Las Vegas. Uh, with then that he met basically what what they make it sound like is that Ray got in touch through Duncan Todd to work with the to work with Mr. C. Um, and they say they don't know who he was reporting to. We know and it was it was Cole. It was Cole. Yeah, it was Cole. That, they touched on that in the return. Yep, but in the book she says, "If it was you, Chief, I believe you would have told us, wouldn't you?" And he kind of no. did. No. Kind of dead, but again, uh, he probably wouldn't. Eat. <laughs> you know? Again, I think this is, you know, uh, when they were making the return, Lynch had things he wanted to change in the script. And every time, and he would ask Frost, and apparently Frost, there was not a single time Lynch asked for a change in the script. He said no. Really? So this, yeah, this might have been one of those things where he's like, yeah, change it, whatever. Like even if he's having the book out, it's just like, do your thing, David. Do your thing. Oh, that's really cool to know. Yeah, I learned um, that room to dream. Uh, Lynch's uh, assistant, what's her name, talks about like how, yeah, Frost would never veto any of Lynch's ideas, which I think makes for a very, uh, you know, compelling artistic relationship between the two. Very much so. Yeah, but, you know, she brings out, even though we know he was reporting to Cole, she brings out that Ray thought he was working for Philip Jeffries, which then leads to this idea that maybe the double knew that Ray had been this double agent the whole time and was was working on, um, was trying to get Jeffries out of him. Yeah, uh, but since Ray thought he was working for Jeffries and not Cole... The devil <laughs> never was never the wiser. What? No, no, he had no idea. Um, then they talk about the Dutchman um, a little bit. Um, there was a motel in the exact spot in the 1930s owned by Horace the Dutchman van der Sand. Um, <laughs> and that John Gillinger once spent a week there. Um, you know, then there's a two day gap. And our knowledge of the devil's movements between when he killed Rome and he showed up in, in Twin Peaks. Um, so, yeah. And then she 
correctly assumes that, she, that he found Philip Jeffries. Um, so, yeah. So then it kind of gives us this idea that, oh, he was there for a while. Yep. And that time doesn't really work well. Which is, you know, a common thread we've discussed. Very much so. Very much so. Now uh, we get to the chapter on today. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> she brings <laughs> the Cockney kid, apparently. <laughs> you know, oh, it, it reiterates like what we we're, we're talking about doing an oddball Cockney kid with the green glove. Then the lights go out, and you and Cooper apparently apparate into the basement of the Great Northern Hotel. So, yeah, that was that actually happened according yes. to the timeline. It was something we kind of discussed last episode, if that was real or not. Uh, yep. According to this, it did. Yep. You know, who do we, what do we know? Uh, but it's interesting. I like this. And for the second time in the past 25 years, Special Agent Dale Cooper disappears from sight, sound, and the world we think we know. Fucking <laughs> 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 <Like> Dale. <laughs> Just doomed, man. Like I said, he's on that record group. And it, no matter what, man, he's... <laughs> Yes, and she does bring up that when I spoke to our good friends at the sheriff's office, they all got slightly dazed and confused when they brought things up, and I were trouble recalling what happened. Yeah, because uh, the, you know, the timelines change now, and like the timelines change because and, on the front page of the news, Laura Palmer did not die. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, we we're, just remember, Philip Jeffrey said. Cole will remember the official way. Yes. Meaning Cole is the only one who's going to remember both timelines. Which then leads us to believe that because Cole's working on these Blue Rose stuff, that he is in some way touched with the Lodge as well. Yeah. Uh, Which we assume. Everybody who enters these Lodges or whatever, I think that part of it just kind of envelopes into their DNA in a sense. Yep. Because if then, like, Cole, Cole has the ability to do that, then something like he's been, you know, like Cooper, you know, he's been touched and uh, is attuned with the lodges. So Cole's going to remember. And as we see in this, uh, even Tammy's memory of the events are starting to go all wonky on her. Yes. And she does bring up some interesting things about what happened to the Palmer family um, that a year later. Um, Lord, Leland Palmer committed suicide. Well, he kind of did in the, the basement of the police station, too. So I guess he was just doomed to, for that fate, huh? Yeah, so it does lead me to wonder what happened to Bob from that point. Like, like where is Bob? Yeah, uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, you know, there, there's some... I guess I don't know. I mean, it could be like, you know, when uh, Cooper goes to Carrie Page's house, there's that guy shot and has like a bob-like orb in his gut. Maybe that was it, or that might just be a red herring. The Twin Peaks is all about red herrings. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, like, that could just be his stomach extended from being dead there for days. So who knows? Mm-hmm. But Bob ended up somewhere. <laughs> he doesn't, you know. Yeah. Yeah, we just don't know where Bob is. And Bob could have killed himself and ended up in that other area with Carrie. And, um, you know, she could have killed him at that point and he could be an orb form again. I, you know, I, 
I mean, the orb form didn't exist until the second, the, 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 well, it could have existed because we never really did see what happened. Well, because well, we, we saw kind of, like he killed Leland in the series. He uh, takes possession of the owl. Yes. And uh, he wasn't in orb form. It was just more of a roaming spirit. Yeah. So Which to I, me is a little more frightening than the orb. <laughs> I, I agree. I think the orb is only there because Frank Silva died. Yeah. yeah. You know, you know, it was more out of necessity than anything. And let's be fair, uh, you know, point of view shots from the villain are very well overdone um, uh, and are kind of a pass, passe style film. There's some face. terrifying things, too. Uh, Laura disappeared, but Ronette <laughs> still uh, ended up on the railroad trestle just like before. Yeah. Meaning uh, Leland didn't mess her up, but that means... Uh, Jacques or Leo did. Well, no. Or it should have been Leland. He just thought that Laura was gone. Well, remember, we saw Leland or Bob see her leave. So, in, in the final episode. So, as far as Bob knew, Leland knew he was she was with Leo and them. Yeah. So, so, he, so that turn of events still could have happened. That turn of events could have happened. He could have gone there, fucked them up, and but couldn't find Laura. And then still bring Ronette to the train car? Well, no, she probably would have hiked her ass down. You know what I mean? Because they were up in that area. I mean, he might have just, she might have just gone down that way. Yeah. She was still, you know, in a daze, though. So I think Leland still assaulted her. And in I some think. Way. And I yeah. think in some way, Mike still prevented that or stopped and, Leland in some way. And or maybe that's where Bob is. Maybe Bob's in Ronette, and that's why Leland killed himself a year later. Well, I mean, I don't know if Bob can hop like that. I think his host has to die, but uh, for him to to leave. But I mean, something happened to Ronette, and this kind of goes into like something that always stuck me with the return is we see Ronette, but she's called American girl. Yes. So that might be part of Ronette and that. So no matter what she was doing to be entangled with the lodges or the portals. Yes. She was touched and she's always going to be touched. Right. So so she, she, but you know, she's, she's in the good part. I think. I think at least like a, well, her mother pounds on the door and scares the shit out of her, but... Yeah. But she is able to help Cooper, so... Yeah, that was, you know... There's thoughts on that um, that I read... I was reading on Reddit where someone thought that that scene where that was going on was inside the apartment where uh, when... when um, uh, Bobby's and Shelly's daughter is banging on the door because I someone took the time. I wasn't going to even bring this up, but now that now that I have, <laughs> someone took the time to copy the the pounding of the door and put it overlay it on that scene with the American girl, and the pounding is on. It's spot on on the door pounds. Um, with uh, the pounds from mother, 
in that in that scene. So I I don't know if that was just by coincidence or if it was just kind of editing where they took. I've done things like that uh, with with videos and things like that where I've taken audio I've already recorded and just to save time, put some reverb, messed it around, you know, throwing some blips and burps on it to make it seem like it's a different audio. I've done that. I've done that too. And that might be something Lynch did or he might have just did it just because he thought it was cool and like you know another layer into like the mystery even if it has nothing to do with it i think he would still get a kick out of doing something like that Mm -hmm. uh the thing this book also like a lot of people were debating about the little girl with with the the bug frog thing yes part eight uh people were vehemently that's not sarah palmer that's not sarah palmer it was sarah palmer it was sarah palmer (laughs) the book the book places her at that exact yeah. spot at that time. And um, I had no doubt it was Sarah. No. Me, uh, just from a storytelling point of, point of view, it's just they're they're pointing that to us. Like yes. Sarah's off. There's something off with her and something happened during her childhood that traumatized her. Yeah, and they straight out they they straight out say in this book, that 11 years later, on August 6, 1956, there was a curious incident um, <laughs> uh, in the local paper about 15 miles outside of town where the Novaks lived. An AM radio station was vis- viciously and mysteriously <laughs> attacked. Two employees, a receptionist and date nighttime DJ, are found dead. Um, including the accounts for all the next day, half a dozen sightings of strange solitary figures in the area that night on the road that, uh, with at least two placing them in the vicinity of the radio station. This people described them as hobos, and a bunch of people were hearing strange or mechanical word sounds coming from their radios, and there uh, many lo- residents reported disturbances among their pets and livestock. Um, claimed that family members blacked out, and when the sound stopped, and the station went dead, and then you know, so this happened. Yeah, this, this happened. Yeah. And according to her parents, Sarah was found unconscious and unresponsive in her upstairs bedroom. Tips. And I like uh, Tammy's like, what to make of it? I have no idea, do you? Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a directly written to us as, as the reader. Yeah. It's, you know. Uh, and I think when they're making that, I think they're, Frost is like, you know, I'm going to nip this one in the bud because I think people are going to argue that wasn't Sarah Palmer. You know, we're very deliberately pointing you in that direction. (laughs) Yes. Now they talk about what happened after Laura's disappearance. This is important. Not her death, but her disappearance. She experienced severe bouts of depression. Um, uh, You know, um, and in the years since, at least in the version where her husband commits suicide, so this shows that Tammy is still somewhat remembering some of the old stuff, but she battled alcoholism, addiction to prescription pills, social isolation, and around the time that Cooper disappeared again, um, took a vacation. She was named in question as an eyewitness to a particularly gruesome and mysterious death. That's right, we saw at the bar. Yep, yep. Yeah, <laughs> the man on the bar stool next because his throat was ripped off. <laughs> Most yep. of his neck is missing. Most of his neck is missing. Ooh. And, and uh, she says, you know, I'm, I'm writing this all down rapidly because my own thoughts are fuzzy and indistinct. 
She says, something is wrong, whether it was with me or this place. I don't know. I really don't care anymore. I need to get the hell out of here. I booked a flight to Philadelphia. And then she talks about her final thoughts. Um, you know, she's like, hey, it hasn't left me even getting out of here, but it's fading the farther I travel east. I don't know what to make of it. Yeah. You want to know what happened there in that town and region to these people you knew whom I feel you've come to know well. But what we're really finding out is he wants the report of the new timeline. Yeah. Yep. That's what, because as Jeffrey said, he's going to remember the official version. Yeah. So he needs to know what is happening with everything else. Yeah. Now, because since it's changed, he's got to know what, you know, he's got to know what the difference is. <laughs> yes. So, <clears throat> This kind of puts the cap on it. And again, it to me, this book solidifies some things to me in terms of people really wanted there to be this underlining deep meaning to Twin Peaks. And the truth of it is, is that, you know, I, I it's funny. I, uh, you should check it out if you guys haven't, but the um, Red Letter Media. <laughs> um, did a recent review of Twin Peaks The Return. Yep. Uh, I liked how they kind of came to the same conclusion we did with the, <laughs> that guy who was like, I know exactly what Twin Peaks is. And there's yes. like, like, they just seemed really annoyed by it. And I was, you know, I, I mean, the guy has really good theories. He does. But like the way he presents it is so obnoxious that it's just hard to. You know, like what was it? Like one of the guys says, like using out of context quotes from David Lynch to justify your points. Yeah, that was Justin that said that, and um, yeah, you know, and and my my thing with it is, is that you're right, and he has really good theories. It was the way he put it out there, and by saying this is the definitive thing, and what this book really hammers home to me i don't know about you and to our audience is that no there is quite a few things that are concrete there's this underlying mystery of things there is layers upon layers that you always will get with david lynch's work and it is left vague and open because that is what lynch likes to do lynch is one of those directors and writers and so is frost that likes to make you think and he does it in a very intelligent way. Again, I put him up there with 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 Kubrick, with um, directing and writing, um, yeah. in terms of being able to to mess with symbolism and metaphors and the abstract to a point where you could have ten people sit down and look at it, and ten people are going to walk away with ten different ideas. And that's the point because it's mm -hmm. it's a work of art there's it's so open to interpretation like because at the end of the day the only two people who know what this ultimately means are the creators yeah and that doesn't necessarily you know but that doesn't take away from like what we take away or what our because they're never going to tell us and i'm glad <laughs> because it's it's up to, because there's so much symbolism and like you said symbolism and metaphors and surrealism mm-hmm that, it, you know, you can come up to all sorts of great theories, and that's the magic of it. And when you dismiss other people's views. Yes. And that's my problem with that 
with that one YouTube video where the guy's like, this is the definitive, this is what it means. No, you're becoming dismissive. Yeah. And, and, uh, and last time that, I checked, his na- na- last name is ni- neither Lynch or Frost. <laughs> no. So it was the pretentiousness of the video that came yeah. out. And, you know, I think I'm going to give him a pass, even though I didn't like the way he did it, because I think he was excited. I think he really thought I cracked the code. Yeah, I and, get that. But did you see he did the follow up where he's uh, clapping mm-hmm. back at people who are poking holes in his theory? No, I didn't see yeah, that. Yeah, so he did a follow up video. And this, like, I watched some of that too. And it was just like, you know, he's dismissive and he's just Eric. And it's just like, you know, man, like, I'd watch this if you're like, this is what I think. Because I yep. watch a lot of YouTube videos. I mean, we're all in lockdown. Yep. So, like, you know, and I'm an insomniac. So I'll sit up until two or three in the morning watching. Uh, theory videos on Twin Peaks because why the hell not? It's great. Why the hell not? Yeah. And there's some really good ones out there. I forget the guy's name. He does like a series of them and they're just really interesting. But he doesn't, and he's arrogant, but he's not saying this is what it is. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a piece of art, it's open to interpretation. Like, yeah. And you and I have, you know, through this thing, we've come to a lot of similar roads and there's things where you've had to say, <laughs> I get your point. You get my point. I don't know if I necessarily view it in the same lens. Yeah. And that's what it's supposed to be. You know, again, until Mark or Mark Frost or David Lynch come out and say, this is it, which they're never going to do. And I truthfully believe that Lynch is one of those people where he goes, this is my idea of it. But same thing to me, even as an artist, it's still art that doesn't make my view right. Yeah, because, you know, people who can paint a painting yep, and what I get from it may not be what the artist's intention was or what they were feeling or what they were, you know, going through when they were painting. And that's the magic of art. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, the the best artists were ones that left it open and go, I can see where this is coming from, but I can also see where people would come up with other ideas. And there you go. Um, We talked about Inception a little bit. And then an interview with with uh, Christopher Nolan at the end of that movie when he spins the top and Christopher Nolan says, you know what? My take on it was, was that it does stop that the that 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 the top stops spinning. So that was, you know, he had his interpretation and that's what he believed. It's kind of like George Lucas for a long time believed that Boba Fett was killed by by everything and screw all the fanfic and all the stories and everything that had Boba Fett in it was on this weird canon level before Disney bought it. And now, uh, spoiler alert with the Mandalorian, things have changed. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so artist interpretations can change over the years as well. Yeah. Um, but I think that art, I think that Lynch is such a, this is a guy that does photography, that does art, that does music. Um, that he is such a consummate um, artist that, you know, did he crawl up his own ass when it came to uh, Firewalk with me? Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, he did. I mean, he did. He crawled up his own ass when he came up with that. But at the same time, even in that, there were things that I think bewildered the audience. 
And I think Lynch didn't even have a definitive idea of what it meant. I'm going to put this in here because this is going to mean something to somebody. Yep. And, and he, even some of the more surreal things, and that's what I like about the dynamic of Frost and Lynch. Mm-hmm. Frost took that, and even I'm, you know, he probably didn't know exactly what Lynch. You know, I'm sure they might have talked about it a bit, but he kind of ran with it, and he kind of put things in a context, but still not overly explaining. Yeah. No. So. At the end of the day, we've kind of hinted and pushed and you know talked about these things, but now that we're done with our thing, and the next podcast we're going to do is the fan book, this uh, Skeleton Key, the Twin Peaks. My take on things is that Mr. C was Bob, that it was a Tulpa, Bob took over, that, but you know it had Cooper's well-being. I go back to what we talked about in our last podcast where – I think this has been an infinite, <clears throat> you know, loop, but it's always different every time. Yeah. So what we saw with season one and two and the end of season three was there was, you know, I, I, I I'm going to push back on the, on the, um, on the, uh, uh, what, what was that word again? I had to need your help with it before the, um, the uh, 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 unreliable narr- narrator. Yeah, unreliable narrative. Yep, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on that and say I don't think that was it. I think that things started to change once Cooper came out of the lodge, and that was the start of the next cycle and loop going into the next kind of dimension or timeline. And I agree with that. And it's if you cut break it all down with like. Cooper in that, you know, infinite loop. Mm-hmm. I brought this up a couple. It, it's Sisyphus with the rock. Yes. Yes. And what <laughs> if you're breaking it all down, basically, like at least my take is Cooper's always going to be pushing that boulder. Mm-hmm. That is the boulder is metaphorically is saving Laura Palmer. And it's going to, you're going to get near the top. It's going to roll down and he's going to have to start all over again. That's uh, the tragedy of agent Cooper. <laughs> yep, and I think that what we got over 25 years, ironically through bullshit, and especially with that second season and things that occurred, was a full glimpse of the start and end of one of those timelines. Because I think it started with Agent Jeffries popping in. Yep. Uh, like, Agent Jeffries was one of those loops. Yep. Yeah. And, and then that's when Cooper got involved and all these things. So, yes, I think what we saw was a snapshot from the start of season one to the end of the return of one of the full, complete loops that Cooper makes with 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 keeping Laura Palmer safe from the the Jowdy and uh, from Jowdy and Bob. And then we get a glimpse of his next one with. Carrie yep. Page at the end of part 18. That's yep. his that's his next loop. That's his next loop. And it might explain where why Bob's not around. Bob's not in that timeline anymore. Yeah. Bob's moved to the other loop. Jody's yep. moved to the other loop. And we just still don't even know because, you know, in the house we have Miss Chalfont. Yep. <laughs> so like, Which we know, know it's log fuckery. We know that's lodge fuckery. That's lodge fuckery. So mm-hmm. we know something's afoot and we hear Sarah. Yeah, call for Laura's name. Uh, it's a loop from uh, the pilot, and then you know it cuts to. She screams and cuts to black. 
uh, yeah, that's, yep. that's the start of Cooper's next journey. And, you know, you know, and it's just like, so, you know, what I like to see is season four of Twin Peaks exploring that, of course. Mm-hmm. Do I need it, though? Not really. I, I kind of got what I think is the full experience. With, now, I am going to three throw... seasons, the movie and the books. I am going to throw a fucking loop your way here. Because I was just thinking about this as we were talking about it. What if it's not just Agent Cooper's loop? What if because Agent Cooper's aged, um, Laura Palmer's aged, what if Jeffries was part of it as well? Like Jeffries had his journey, which then led to Cooper and Laura Palmer. And now it's maybe Cooper again with... Uh, with Carrie Page, but then it may not be Cooper and Page in the next loop. It might be someone else. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's part of it. I mm-hmm. think it's like an interconnectedness with all their, with all these uh, yeah. stories and timelines. Uh, they're going to overlap on each other because they're because they're fucking with time. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, time, I think, they're fucking with dimensions. Yeah. And then, you know, I, you could all arguably say the the first fuckery of these timelines and dimensions was when Jeffries shows up in the Philadelphia office and he yeah. lays that clue. Who exactly do you think this is? Yep. Uh, yep. You know, I'm not sure Lynch. I think he might have. I don't know what his idea behind that was. I mean, he could have meant the doppelganger for all we know. I, I think so, because, again, I think had he done season three, the way Lynch and Frost came back for season two and introduced the doppelganger. Yeah. So I think that was always in the cards. Like that was going to happen. But I think season personally, I think season three would have been a doppelganger thing. And at the end, Cooper would have came back. Yeah. Um, but I also if they had their way, though, as well, Laura Palmer never we never would have known who killed Laura Palmer. Yeah. Uh, well, I think. I think Frost would eventually have, have pushed for it. I mean, just because it's just, uh, it, you got to push the narrative along. Uh, you know, that would have just log jammed things. I'd rather, you know, I'd rather have them reveal it, but like have a the next mystery in line. Mm-hmm. Which they weren't allowed to have that. They weren't allowed to cook up the next, you know, and that's where we get the half baked Wyndham Earl, as I think they were de- developing that next mystery. Yes. And that was going to be the Wyndham Earl thing, and it probably would have gone in a totally different direction with that character. Uh, mostly, like, uh, we kind of get a glimpse of it, like, you know, why he flipped, why is he looking for the lodges, all that. I think would have gone more into the Blue Book stuff, too, but uh, their their hands were forced. And it yes. felt like, you know, again, Wyndham Earl felt like a preliminary idea for the next mystery, and it was just rushed into being. Which was unfortunate. Yeah, I think they probably would have solved wars if they had their way. Realistically, it would have been season three. Yeah, I think so. While they're building the next mystery with Wyndham Earl and let that play itself out. But, yeah, it, they were too far. The problem was, and we talked about this ad nauseum. They were too far ahead of their time. Yeah, and I so mean, yeah, especially but, for network television. Yeah, I mean it. They took it, you know, uh, it was because it was the first time you had like an hour, hour tour mm-hmm. go to television. And you know, it's weird now that it took like 25 years for that to become like now you see people who want to do like art house type movies are doing 
these limited series events where they can actually let characters breathe and grow. Yep. Kind of like what Lynch did. But, you know, so we started seeing that, you know, it wasn't, you know, it took a long time, but like, you know, they laid the groundwork for allowing the more cinematic things, you know, that laid the groundwork for, you know, X-Files. But later on, more of like the golden age where you had Sopranos and Breaking Bad and uh, Fargo and yeah, The Shield. True, The Shield, True Detective. True Detective. Oh my God, that's oh, I love that show because it feels like there's so many nods to Twin Peaks, Um, especially that first season. Yeah. Yes. Um, I have not watched the second or third. I haven't watched the second or third season yet. Third season's really good. I have not seen the second one because I've heard bad things. But okay, first season has one of my favorite lines that I still say to Joe Brown whenever he picks uh, a movie for the Joe Down that I'm I know I'm going to hate. Uh, I call him the Michael Jordan of being a son of a bitch. <laughs> 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 Which is what Eddie Harrelson's character says. To McConaughey. Oh <laughs> my god! Brilliant! Brilliant! Yeah, um, I've started watching The Outsider um, as well, uh, which is on HBO Max, and I also feel like that has nods to Twin Peaks. Yeah, uh, a lot of huge, premier huge premier TV shows, and I brought it up before. Uh, Lost was Lost like, really rolled the way, and uh, the co-creator of that, Damon Lindelof. Mm-hmm. Uh, has cited Twin Peaks as his major inspiration and in, like keeping the mystery alive. So like, so like one of their things, and I think that made it successful was like they weren't going to reveal the mystery right away. No. And the only thing that made it, I think, problematic though was that they never had an ending either. Yeah. They lost they... one of those shows. I love the ride until I get to the. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'll be honest. I love the first season, and then the the second, because uh, I, I, I was watching it as it aired, and um, it was interesting. I was living in an apartment downtown, and I didn't have cable, so I I had I'd at my uh, I'd go to my parents' house, and I'd record it, um, and have them record it for me, and then I'd go and pick it up and watch it on a tape and, cassette on a tape cassette. <laughs> The fuck is a tape cassette? Yeah, on a tape cassette. Absolutely. A VHS? A VHS, sir. And was uh, it a Betamax? <laughs> Betamax was farly superior to the VHS. Um, um, and but I got to the first episode of season two, and I it hit me right then and there. I'm like, they don't know where they're going. <laughs> like, I'm off this ride. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Uh, they went into season three with an end game. Uh, so it picks up on season three. Okay. Good. So if you ever yeah. want to rewatch it, because season three on till probably the last two episodes, I really love just because it's so engaging and keeping expanding a mystery is what I think they're masterful at. Uh, but much like any Damon, Damon Lindelof and JJ Abrams thing, uh, they never, they can't stick the <laughs> Right. Uh, I mean, that's one of the things like Abrams can start a project and it'll be, this is really good. And then it's like, oh God, what the fuck was that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a really prime example of three movies from a toll, from a tent pole, from, um, from a tent pole, um, uh, franchise that started with Abrams, ended with Abrams because it, 
needed Abrams the whole time and didn't have it. <laughs> they made three movies of the game? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or regarding Henry? So, uh, a couple what was of the things... third regarding Henry movie? <laughs> regarding Henry Part 3, 2.54 p.m. Um, so, <laughs> for those that aren't getting that, that is a, uh, that is a Roger Waters Pink Floyd reference. Um, so, I wanted to also talk about a little bit of the inconsistencies with the book. Um, you know, they brought up where, uh, um, uh, you know, you brought up that the agent Preston talking about how she get back to Shelley. Mark Frost was asked about this and he attributes this to Preston abandoning her research after discovering the timeline change. Um, and, you know, Red's not mentioned the book, despite the details provided of his drug dealing network being dismantled. Um, the fight between Ben Horn and Will Hayward uh, was stated to take place the same day as the Savings and Loans explosion, where in the episode it's the night before. Um, so timeline it, changed, Paul. This, you know, which is interesting because at the end of the day, it's all been retconned. Um, but you know, it was, uh, it was just kind of interesting. Um, talks about how Hank Jennings was arrested at dead dog farm when actually he was assaulted at Hurley and was arrested. I think David Lynch and Mark Frost were not going to bring up Norma's, uh, uh, um, not Norma, um, Nadine's super strength. I don't think they were ever going to reference that at all. Um, so yeah, there was a few things there in the book, but again, it's forgiven because of the fact that the timeline changed. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a show that's open to, like, a lot of... It gets a wide berth for interpretation. You know, there were so many writers involved in it. It spanned 25 years. There was network interference, especially in the first two seasons. And I'm sure a lot of that stuff from season two, Frost just had no interest in revisiting a whole lot or getting meticulous into that. Because he seems more meticulous with the events of the first season than he does with season two stuff. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, You know, except for the characters that he cared about, as we saw. Um, So... I think this was a successful um, viewpoint. Again, our interpretation and our kind of viewpoint of that being this is a snapshot into an inf- into an infinite loop yep. um, is our interpretation. It's where Joe and I came together. You know, we didn't know we were going to come together on this at no. all. Did no, we kind of came at different angles, but we we landed in the same spot. Which yes. Is- it's just great. It's, that's just like speaks to like how great this whole show and everything involved is. <laughs> yes. And ours is not the BL and all. We're not going to sit here and say we saw that we cracked the code. No, because... we have we not cracked the code of this at no. all. We just have ideas. <laughs> this is our interpretation of what it means to us. Now, next podcast, we're going to be looking into someone else's interpretation of what it means to them. And I'm really curious uh, to see our um, our viewpoints on that. Um, it's going to be a lot of overlap with what the guy has, and it'll be like obviously we're going to have disagreements. Yep. yep. But I'm, and I'm glad a guy took that much effort. Yes, something that he loves and that we love, and mm-hmm. he doesn't come off like a condescending prick like that guy in YouTube. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I want to make it very clear. We're going to be just like everything else. We're going to be very fair. I mean, this is a book that you could go out and purchase. So we're going to be critical. You know, we're going to be reviewing it. We're going to be talking about our own ideas on it. We're not in it to shit on it. We're not in it to promote it or make it, you know, this is, you know, whatever. We're both going to go into it, I think, as critics, which will lead us into our new podcast, Joe, which is. We're going to be doing uh, albums. Uh, every uh, uh, we've got to get the, the the schedule or whatever down. I imagine it'll probably be the same as what we did with Twin Peaks. Um, yeah, it'll be weekly. Weekly. Uh, we're one of us. We'll pick an album. It's kind of in the format of cast that movie and uh, the Joe down, but I don't think we're going to be torturing each other Mm-mm. because you know, where I think like those are more like we're just bullshitting and having fun. Yep. This is going to be more like we really inter- we're really into this and I really want to talk about this album with my buddy who's really into music. Yes. And I think that's going to be fascinating. Do you have an, I'm going to let you start with the album. So do you have an album in mind to start the show with? I do, but I'm not going to say it yet. Mm. I'm not going to put it on the podcast. Perfect. Love that. So Joe will be starting off with that one. I'll pick the next one, which I will tell you, I have mine picked, and it's nothing that he's ever going to expect. So. Hit me, baby, one more time by Britney Spears. Ooh, you caught me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a, Far more obscure album that I actually came across today. And I thought this will be really interesting to to start it with. Will be something that the thing that we also have to remember is it's something the other person will be able to find. You'll be able to find it. You'll be okay. able to find it. Yes. There's like some stuff that is just like, yeah, there's this Beatles bootleg. <laughs> no, no, you I found it I found it very easily on on um, on YouTube music. Okay. Yep, I found it very easily on YouTube Music. Right, so, but, so we'll get that. That'll be. We'll talk. Well, it's probably gonna be pretty soon. Uh, since, I, since I think this is we'll, kind of the end of the Twin Peaks thing. We're gonna take a few weeks to digest. Yes, that yes we are. One, but uh, I imagine we'll probably record the first music one probably next week. I think that would be legit. Now. Um, what do you have going on with the Joe Down and uh, the Joe Down blog and everything, Joe? Well, we came back. Uh, the mystery movie, uh, we kind of fell behind like we all did in uh, January, but the mystery movie remained as and it became the first movie we reviewed of the new year, and that was Cats. Oh, God, you didn't. We did. It's, uh, it's up right now. <laughs> um, Holy fuck. Uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's like a, it's what I imagine, like I wrote in the review, it's what I think Hunter Thompson actually saw in the lizard bar orgy and fear. And <laughs> 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 uh, Brown hated it more than me. I was more just, uh, gobsmacked by how fucking weird <laughs> It's like, it's not great, but like, it's an experience, man. I'm going to read an expert here because I I, I, got to admit, I have not been on Facebook since I got a 30-day ban. I got ban hammered on Facebook, so I'm really far behind a lot of things in that world. And that's where I got my Joe Down updates. (laughs) Uh, So I'm going to read a little thing here. What could go wrong? Well, it appears a lot. 
This movie is what I imagine Hunter S. Thompson really saw in his LSD field hallucinations in the Hotel Lizard Orgy chapter in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, only with toe damp, toe tap dancing songs and uh, song and dance numbers. Brown, while I wrap my head around Taylor Swift as a CGI chat showering catnip cocaine on other CGI cats, why don't you give us your first thoughts? My first thought is you're a real asshole for picking this movie. Oh my god. Yeah, please go out and look at this, guys, because I am so glad you guys did this movie because I have avoided this like the plague. And I really want to hear your guys' take on it. Oh, and don't forget, there's a butthole cut of this movie. Excuse me? There was a, the original cut of this movie, the cats had buttholes and they had to digitally take them out. You... So, well, you, everybody's asking for the Snyder cut of Justice League. I'm demanding the butthole cut of cats. <laughs> I want the butthole cats. <laughs> Release the butthole cut. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I heard, too, that, there's, that, there, that also they looked terrible. So... <laughs> So am I am I right that in the, like it came out like for a week and then they pulled it they pulled like it a, they updated the CGI CGI and then put it back out like they literally did a video game update on a movie yeah uh, this would actually not be a bad idea for when you guys get back to cast that movie mm-hmm. because uh, from what I've read there's been, there was a lot of like ambition. And it just, the execution just became like a giant clusterfuck. Uh, they, they, they went originally, they, the Warner Brothers bought the rights or whatever. They were intending it to be a cartoon or even like a, like a Toy Story animated type thing. Which I think, and I argue in the review, would have worked a lot better than having these horrific uh, looking cat people. Which, I mean... If you ever had a bad trip on LSD or mushrooms, like you, you have an instant feeling of recognition when you see these things. Like, my God, I've wow. been there. Why would they put this on the screen? <laughs> wow. Well, so I'm going to bring this out here. Uh, there's a movie that I want to do. And I, 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 I'm going to put out here, this is for cast that movie. Um, it is called Omega Doom. Have you heard of this movie? I have not. It is a Rudger Hauer 1996 sci-fi action film. Okay. It was done by unknown director Albert Pullian, Um Who... Wait, uh, the Albert Pullian? The Albert Pullian. Pullian. Um, it was supposed to be... It was supposed to rival Terminator, and it was actually set to be part of the Euro Disney. <laughs> it was filmed. Uh, so in the, in the screenplay, okay, it was supposed to be set in Paris at Euro Disney, and the characters will be animatronic theme park figures who continue global, and... Omega Doom was originally built to be part of a new exhibit at Euro Disney established around the Terminator franchise. And the entire setting was within the theme park. That was the original. Isn't this the premise of that Simpsons episode where the itchy and scratchy robots come to life? Essentially. But this was supposed to be a big thing. And then Euro Disney obviously fucking went 
went went to hell. Um, and so they had to change the screenplay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, because it, it was it was filmed and and it opened in and it opened in 1992, and um, it was supposed to be this big thing. But as we all know, Euro Disney did not go around, did not go well, uh, it, up until like 1995, and now it's been changed to Disney Resort Paris. But yeah, it was. Sp- it was screwed. I mean, by 1994, it was $3 billion in debt. But this movie was supposed to be originally the reveal of a whole fucking theme park. And the movie got a one out of four when it came out. And it was just, it, it, it's a mess. But my God, I love it because it has Rudger Hauer. And anything Rudger Hauer does, he's fucking awesome in. Nice. Everyone else around him was shit. Nice. Well... All right. Uh, then coming up next for the next Joe Down, we're doing Kung Fury. Nice. I've I never seen movie. it. I've never seen it, so I'm in, I'm excited. You should be. I love it. Um, I actually have on um, one of my playlists the David Hasselhoff's theme song for that. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that movie. Uh, it's a guilty pleasure and all the right and all the and all the the, the 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 beautiful reasons that it would be. Is it better than Manborg? Oh, that's a toughie. Manborg, uh, pretty great. <laughs> Manborg was amazing, wasn't it? Um, I, I'm so glad I turned you on the Manborg. Um, yeah, it, it's um, it's shorter. Yeah, so, it's like, like a half hour, forty five minutes or something. It's like yeah, it's about forty five minutes long, and so it's unlike you know even Manborg had its slog spots where I feel like the time line or the time uh is perfect for um kung fury because it just goes from one ridiculous thing to the next ridiculous thing it doesn't have time to slog nice yeah yeah uh so so do we have any updates on cast that movie paul we don't we do not yet um scott has kind of gone on a sabbatical um and um Let's get down to brass tacks. This is because, you know, I put your major advertiser out of business. Um, it could very well be. I think he is Ted trying. Ted Mills has yeah. been put out of business. Ted Mills got fucked by you. Um, that is one you of our issues. that lock business. Mm-hmm. I opened the Joe Down Lock Emporium next door to his where I sold everything 20% cheaper. I put him under. You did. Uh, uh-uh. <laughs> so- he never gave me that box, man. I, my goal in life is to destroy Ted Mills. Well, you did a good job, and with it came the sabbatical from from the from the cast that movie, uh, and so with that as well as the office. I don't know anything about what's going on with Bears, Beats, and Bobbleheads. Um, I'm sure we'll hear from Scott soonish. Yeah. Um, and but we are doing another one, and you've been invited to that, and you said yes, which is a tour of Hawkins a podcast about Stranger Things that I'm doing with a new partner uh, in, in uh, to the Joe Down, which is Griffin E. Is her name. Um, she's a big Stranger Things enthusiast. We have already recorded a couple episodes. Um, we are just kind of getting some things streamlined and, and straightened out before we start um, putting them up. 
Awesome. I'm excited. I'm yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, you've been uh, you've been asked to join us in that one, and you've agreed. So I'm not sure if it's going to be every episode you'll be in on it or just a couple episodes here and there. We'll figure that out uh, as as we go forward. But, yeah, so then that will be four podcasts now that will be on uh, the Joe Down. Yeah, it's 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 fun. It, we're it's expanding. Fun. Yeah. We are. Mm-hmm. We are expanding, and uh, you know. So I thank you once again from the bottom of my heart for allowing me and uh, Scott, um, and Jode, and now Griffiny to be a part of the the Joe Down family. Oh, I'm happy. Yeah. The more people who are helping out and wanting to contribute, I am more than happy. Just because otherwise, I just it would just be me and Joe Brown. Farting on movies. <laughs> well, it's 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 working. It's working. Yeah. So you know, and I think that music one will be really interesting. And I think uh, I'm interested to eventually know what the album's going to be, as I think our listeners are. But now we've we plugged for a while, Joe. Why don't you take us out, buddy? What year is this? 